Hashtag never alone with Joe and Mark. Hi everyone and welcome to Hashtag Never Alone Season 2 Episode 17, our first episode of 2022. It's very good to be back. Um, I am your host, Joe Ambridge. And I'm Mark Fielding, I'm psychotherapist and relationship counsellor and Joe's co-host. Yeah, I actually forgot to mention that I'm lived experience. I suppose you guys probably know that by now. But <laughs> but yeah, so today's topic, um, it's been a while. We talking before the episode, we haven't recorded since November. We do apologize for the massive gap for Christmas and everything and had personal stuff going on. Um but yeah, we'll get into the topic. Um today's topic is forest therapy, which is something a bit different that probably maybe not many people have heard of um, and we will be joined by the guest I'm going to talk to shortly. Um, Mark, did you have anything you'd like to say before we introduce the guest? Yeah, I mean, just just, just a little. I mean, obviously, Stefan, you know, we're going to hear, hear a lot more about this area from Stefan. But yeah, just just to say that it's something that, you know, I often recommend as a coping strategy to, to clients. You know, I, I kind of forest bathe, you know, I, I walk in the wood, you know, every day. And, you know, and there's increasing research, you know, around, you know, the... I don't know the, the massive effect it has on mental health, um, and so yeah, so I'm keen to hear more from Stefan about it. I mean, it, it really is a growing area, isn't it? Well, we will introduce Stefan now. Um, thank you for joining us, Stefan. Um, I'm very excited to like hear what you guys have to say about forest therapy and everything, just to learn about it because I've never really know. I don't really know much about it, but yeah, just give us a literal introduction to who you are and what forest therapy is. Yeah, hi Joe, hi Mark. Hi, my name's Stefan, and I live in Devon in the southwest of the UK. And I'm very lucky actually to live in the Dartmoor National Park. So I'm surrounded by forests and rivers and hills, and I love it living here. And um, it's quite a long story how I got into forest therapy. Um, I've been working with people in nature as a therapist for about 30 years and I was one of the pioneers of ecotherapy in this country uh, back in the early 90s and I've been working with the NHS um, setting up projects ecotherapy projects for people with severe and enduring mental health issues and I've also been a lecturer for the last mm, 25 years on the clinical psychology doctorate training at Plymouth University. So I've developed um, a lot of theories and practices to support people with mental health issues in connection with nature. That's really my kind of specialism. And I'm very passionate about it because it's, uh, apart from being my work, it's also been my own personal journey from mental health issues uh, to recovery um, in in the natural world. So so I've got first-hand experience of it. Um, Just to briefly say, forest therapy in a nutshell is this idea of going out into nature. It can be a forest, it doesn't have to be, but um, specifically into a forest and rather than just walking through on your mobile phone or chatting to your mates, it's about a more mindful, slower paced way of walking. It's about engaging all of the senses wherever possible. So you're fully taking in the environment that you're immersed in. And 
forest bathing or forest therapy, kind of interchangeable names, originated in Japan back in the 1980s. So uh, it was really a response to quite serious health conditions in Japan, both physical and mental health problems uh, that I think occurred as the result of overcrowding in, in their housing and very uh, difficult working conditions. And because they were so patriotic, they they become literally workaholics. And so they became quite ill and somebody suggested, well, why don't we take them all for a walk in the forest? And so that's how forest bathing or forest therapy began. It wasn't until some years later that they started actually doing clinical trials to work out what is it about being in the forest that makes people feel well again? So they started taking blood and saliva samples. So with the blood samples, they could see that there was a boost to the immune system from being in the forest. The saliva samples, they were looking at the cortisol levels, which as you know, is a stress hormone. So they looked at a reduction in the cortisol levels to see that people were getting less and less stressed from being in the forest. So that's kind of forest bathing in, in, a, in a nutshell, really. Uh, and then the, the mindfulness element, yeah. I mean, so it, it is the forest bathing, and I'll ask you maybe a bit more about the research and you know what, what happens physiologically. But I, yeah. I guess it's the from what you say, it's the being in the forest, but it is also being in a position of you know present moment focus, mindful awareness to to actually yeah. reinforce the experience, which I yeah. think is an important part of it. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So the um if you look at the research, I mean, I don't like doing this because for me, they are not separate, but just taking the research into physiological and psychological just for this moment. Mm -hmm. So physiologically, obviously they could look at the before and after results of the walks and see that there was a significant change to each person's physiology um, in terms of uh, brain chemistry, in terms of things like the autonomic nervous system. So much more evidence emerging of people going into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and relax cycle and coming out of the sympathetic, which is the fight and flight response. So that's just one example where they were um, using things like heart rate variability to indicate uh, an increase in the parasympathetic nervous system. Also what they discovered physiologically is that breathing in the forest air actually has a tranquilizing effect on the brain. So it physically tranquilizes the brain and reduces the neural activity of the brain. So that's happening at a physical level. So it's actually some of the chemicals that the trees release have a very slightly narcotic effect on the brain. <laughs> um, so that's on the physiological side. And then on the psychological side, um, a lot of research has been done over the last 30, 40 years into what is it about being out in the wilderness that makes us more relaxed, more calm, 
and generally feeling in a better state of mental health. So these, these questions have been really important and they haven't actually come up with any answers yet, but what they have described is something called a restorative environment. So a restorative environment is one which gives the brain time off. Mm. So when our brains are overstimulated, as they are in an urban environment or through engaging with technology, for example, the brain doesn't ever get a rest. And it's important that the brain has some time off. So what they found is that by being in a forest environment or even looking at an image of a forest through a window or on a TV screen has a relaxing and sedating effect on the brain. So when the brain relaxes, it gives it an opportunity to kind of get itself back in order, um, a bit like doing its housework. And then when we go back in and engage with our work or with uh, the environment in, in, in the city, we're refreshed and we're more able to cope with the stresses that, that affect us because the brain has had that little bit of time to kind of defrag itself and get itself back on track. So those are the two sides, actually, the physiological and the psychological aspect of it in a nutshell. Obviously, I could go on for hours about both of those. <laughs> I mean, I could honestly listen for hours. I love this subject. I mean, it's it's so great. It's coming into, in, into the public eye now. Really such an important area, I, I think, and, and so interesting. I mean, the tranquilizing effect and and the idea of kind of giving the brain a rest. You know, I mean, I often recommend it when some people have very very busy brains, don't they? You know, and it's often really helpful for those kind of people. You know, I mean, I'm not suggesting that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, people with busy brains can be very creative, but you know, they need a rest. I think we all do. Our brains all need a rest. And we in modern society, as you say, we're totally overstimulated the whole time. It's well, I mean, it, it, it's fascinating. I just did. You, did you want to come in, Joe? I had to burn ourselves out. <laughs> I definitely agree. <laughs> I will work ourselves. But yeah, I was. Uh, just listening to what you were saying stuff and I was just literally thinking to myself like when I first moved to Australia like we have all this beautiful scenery and I'm big like I love photography I don't do as much at the moment because I haven't really had the motivation to go and do that sort of stuff but when I was I'd be going to there was like a part down the road I don't live there now but like where I was living before at my um my partner's um parents house um there was a little part down the road with a massive lake and everything bridge and everything and all these trees I used to go there and just go and do photography and just being there it's kind of like I was in my own little world and so relaxing just wasn't thinking about stresses and all and I think it was kind of my go-to spot especially if I was like stressed or anything I'd just go and walk down there and go and sit in the park and just kind of relax and kind of just feel the air coming in like the natural yeah. air and I agree like it totally just relaxes and stuff kind of sort of weight of your shoulders going off and similar to me, I mean, I, I'm fortunate enough that now I can go for a walk in a wood every day as nature reserve near where I live. And I mean, I can just, I, you know, even, I know it's going to be good for me, you know, but, but I notice it, you know, and this is, I guess, the mindfulness aspect. I could wake up and maybe I'm feeling anxious or whatever. And, you know, and I, I go for a walk and I, I can literally feel 
my whole nervous system calming down. I mean, it, it is just the most amazing thing. And then when I finish the walk and I come back, you know, my mental state is completely changed. I mean, it really is amazing. I mean, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the, about the work you do, Stefan, if that, that's okay, about, you know, the, the, the organisation that, that I know you, you, you kind of sit in multiple roles, but the work you do and the, just a bit more really around, you know, what you do and the kind of client group that you work with in the forest. Yeah, so there's, yeah, you're quite right, Mark. There's different aspects to my work. So um, for the last five years, I've been running forest bathing training courses. So I train other walk leaders um, how to lead walks. So what I'm trying to do, it sounds a bit grandiose, but it's not. Um, I'm trying to educate people uh, about how nature works and part there's, there's two parts of that really it's, it's so that people can feel healthier and people can heal themselves but also when people are educated about nature re, uh, research has proven they're more likely to want to protect it so I'm trying to convert the the whole world one person at a time into falling in love with nature again so so i train walk leaders and then they go off and they lead walks all over in fact i've got people from all over the world who, who've come on the training courses so that's one part the other part is going back to my kind of therapeutic roots in working with people who've got at the moment mostly it's depression and anxiety though in the past it's been any kind of mental health issue um i've worked with but Currently, we focus on people with depression and anxiety. So we run a project called Woods for Wellness. So we're based in this beautiful little opening in the woods where we've got a fire pit and we've got a little hut and um, various other little areas, um, a little compost toilet. And we meet there with uh, our groups and we run a six week project supporting people with depression and anxiety so part of the work is going off into the woods and seeing what we can find on any given day so we literally just go and wander around and we see what's there and that initiates a conversation and maybe it initiates some kind of living meditation so we might do a walk focusing on one specific sense uh, we might lie down and look up through the trees uh, while I talk people through a relaxation exercise we might go down through the woods to the river and have a paddle in the river it just depends on what we feel like doing each day the important thing about those days is that people feel part of a community and people feel relaxed and that there's no specific agenda, that we can go in any direction, we can be flexible. They haven't got to turn up and pay attention. They can just turn up and be themselves. We then back those days up with um, a Zoom session between meetings. We have a Zoom session, which they can attend or not, it's up to them where we give a little bit each week, we give a little bit of a, an insight into a particular 
um, resource or support that, that, that could be useful for them. So it might be um, a yoga nidra or a mindfulness exercise, or um, I've got a colleague who might come in and talk about one particular aspect of um, a psychological therapy. So it just varies each week. So we have the day to just be, and then we have the session in between where people can take in a bit of knowledge and, and share their experiences. And we also, um, this hasn't happened yet. Um, we're, we're just trying to coordinate it all, but part of that six week project is that each person gets to plant a tree. And they become the custodian for that tree. And then when the cohort that comes in that follows them, they hand over the care of that tree to the next person, person in the next cohort. So there's a chain of care that, that goes on from one person to the next to look after the tree. No, I think that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, on the other side of it, working with the university, with clinical psychologists, so trying to, you know, when I started, clinical psychology was very clinical. It was very applied. And through a gradual change of culture, um, the, particularly the Plymouth course, um, there's much more reflective practice. There's much more engagement with what I would call these marginal um, therapies or supports um, and I think they really realize the benefit of connecting to nature so the mm. the trainees themselves are highly stressed from three years of training having just already done um, three or four years of a, a degree so they are pretty stressed out and so they quite often comment saying that their days out with me feels like the only space they get to breathe um, because I just take them out into the wilds and we have a whole day out there together. And I'm trying to sow seeds with them because they are the future mm. um, psychologists that they, through their experiential um, sense of how it benefited them, they will then remember that when they're working with patients and say, actually, this person doesn't need all this medication. They actually need to get out into nature and engage with that and get into their bodies. So that's, yeah, summary of, of what I've been doing. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, okay, I just, just a, so, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm rewinding slightly, but I, I just, you mentioned something around, um, looking at pictures of na nature on you know uh, i don't know on kind of as a screensaver and, and i read a really interesting article the other day and it's saying that the brain codes nature you know similarly if it's looking at a picture of nature as you know obviously it's always going to be better to actually be in nature but yeah. i'm just wondering if there's any advice that you could give for people that perhaps live in cities and you know they, they don't really have the access to, to forests i mean i'm assuming that maybe parks and I mean, there's always a bit of nature to be had. Whether you have any advice for these people, how can they access being in nature if maybe nature is more limited for them? I, I thought you would ask that question, actually. And I can imagine uh, a lot of your listeners would be in urban areas. Yeah. We don't have access to big forests. And it's a, it's a really good question, Mark. And 
I've, I've been asked this before actually. And so, um, cause I grew up near London. So I had to go back to my experience of being in those areas and people say, oh yeah, uh, parks and gardens, they're good places to go. They are good places to go and you can get benefits from being in parks and gardens. And it's research has proven actually that um, taking, for example, Japanese population, taking those people into the parks and gardens that they have in their cities mm. has been of immense benefit to them. The way that I teach forest therapy is slightly different. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to encourage people to re-engage with the animal part of themselves, with the feral part of themselves, because it's a resource that we no longer make use of. So my advice is, yes, go to parks and gardens and have a look around there and sit on a bench and feel the air. Brilliant. But what I would also encourage people to do is to follow a trail. So create a trail as if they were an animal. So start from wherever they live, come out of the door. Where, what's the first plant that you see? Go and have a look at that plant. It might just be a tiny little weed growing in the pavement, in a crack in the pavement. Have a look at that plant, be curious about it. And then maybe there's a wall and maybe there's some moss growing on the wall or some grass. Have a look at that. And then just keep moving out away from wherever you live, not knowing where you're going or where you're going to end up, but just go off and wander around and follow your nose, follow a trail of nature reclaiming the city. And that's mm. a completely different way of seeing things. And it will put you more back in touch with your animal self. Mm. There's always these little pockets of wild wasteland, even in the middle of a city, you'll find somewhere, a little corner or a little bit of forgotten ground where the weeds have reclaimed it. That's wild nature coming back. Parks and gardens are trimmed, controlled, de domesticated environments. And they're great because they do bring a lot of benefit to people. But finding these little wild places where nature is reclaiming um, has a different energy and a different quality to it. Yeah. I just wanted to reflect, she's talking about obviously the animal side and everything. And what you said before earlier about narcotics, it was almost like a narcotic and stuff going out in nature. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, we've got uh, Samoid as well. And they were saying about how dogs, why they stick their heads out the windows, because it's almost like them doing drugs because of all the smells and stuff. It's such a like, yeah. I'm trying to think of the words now. It's almost like a, a high for them because they have so many senses coming in and that's why they stick their head out the window. It was just yeah. so interesting to hear like that's why they do it because it's almost like, It'll be the same as us doing drugs. It's kind of, it just gives you that high. And it's so, it's so century for yeah. them. Yeah, that's a really lovely image, Joe. Thank you. Yeah. I, I believe that um, our primitive ancestors all had a version of synesthesia. So synesthesia is where our senses are working in combination. So you get, you get people who've got synesthesia now, almost 
regarded as an anomaly by the medical profession. Mm. So you get people who can smell words or people who can taste music, that sort of thing. But I believe that as primitive people, we were designed to build a kind of three-dimensional picture of our environment using information from all of our senses working together. Because we needed to survive, we needed to be really, really sharp and really intuitive about what was going on in our environment, both to uh, locate our prey and also to avoid becoming prey. So our senses worked together uh, at a much higher level of alertness than they are now. And they built this three-dimensional picture by each one of the senses um, contributed some information to different parts of the brain to build up this image of what is around us. And I think you, know, you mentioning about the dog, um, a, a dog's sense of smell isn't necessarily that much greater than our own, but um, our sense of smell is just atrophied because we're not using it so much. I mean, I love smells. It's probably one of my favorite senses. Um, and so I can imagine for a dog to have its head out the window, it's getting all of those smells coming at it at extra high speed. And it probably is getting high. Um, but there's no reason why we can't also have that similar kind of impact by engaging our senses in a way that they were designed for. And that's what we did when we go to the forest. We try to amplify each one of the senses in isolation and then we bring them all back together again. Yeah, and I'm thinking of, uh, I mean, who is it, Thich Han? you're doing mindfulness exercise, he's walking through forests. I don't know whether you've ever seen those images. And yes. It's, it's, yeah. just it's just beautiful, isn't it? You know, silent and just listening. And, and you can almost like, the, the awareness of the group is almost palpable, even just watching it. You know, there's a film we produced recently. Well, not that recently, but absolutely beautiful, you know, in, yes. in, terms, in terms of awareness and reconnecting you know, with 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 the senses that that we have, you know, his, historically, because yeah, I mean, I, I guess we're numbing out, aren't we? I mean, we we're it's almost like a paradox, really. We're completely over. Well, maybe it's not paradoxical, but we're overstimulated in modern society. So what are we doing? We're just numbing out, aren't we? We're numbing yeah. out with everything: TV, computers, foot. You know, I mean, the list is endless, isn't it? We're numbing out, but but we 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 go into a forest and we open up our senses. We connect with our primal self. And we also connect with our authentic self. I guess this is what you're saying. I mean, it this is, is the exactly. environment we're meant to be in, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That, that's yeah. the ultimate, for me, the ultimate goal is to support people to connect to their authentic selves. Yeah. Because I believe that when people are in touch with that authentic self, or what I actually call the savage self, when they're in touch with that place, they're more likely to make decisions about their lives that are in alignment with their true self, their true purpose, rather than a decision based on a purely mental argument, which largely comes from other people's yeah. needs and influences on them. Yeah. So yeah, when, yeah. when you're in nature, you're, you really are in touch with that core part of yourself and it gives you a certain amount of strength strength of character to to make difficult decisions or to to take a leap into doing something that you wouldn't necessarily do before because you would have talked yourself out of it 
yeah it's kind of expansive awareness rather than I mean, yeah. with western society it just encourages overthinking doesn't it yeah and there's a place for thinking sometimes we have to use our thinking function don't we but you know this is more expansive intuitive you know kind of i don't know creative awareness you're talking about i mean I, yeah i mean i'm so passionate about the area it, it, it's really great work that, that, that you're doing I just wanted to ask about personal experience. I mean, what what led you into the into the field, Stefan? Into into you know all of the different parts of it that you, that you're, you take part in. Uh, it's a good question. I I think looking back, you know, when when I was um, a, a very small child, I grew up in the grounds of a, a an estate, a large estate, and from the age of three. I decided to get out of the house and just go and wander around. Um, probably wouldn't let a child do that these days, but um, I, I felt safe uh, just wandering around the grounds of this estate. And, and I didn't feel safe in the house, actually. There was something kind of murky about being in the house that I didn't like right from a very early age. And I didn't like being controlled. So, so I would literally just get up in the morning, get dressed and, and just take off. And I just wander around the estate. And I think I, in terms of attachment theory, I probably bonded more with nature than I did with my parents or with, with humans. And um, then when I got to um, having to choose a career, I did work in the city for a while actually. And then I, decided that I wanted to work on the land. Um, I really wanted to be a shepherd. Anyway, I went to agricultural college and trained as an environmental educator. And fast forward another 10 or so years, uh, I was in quite what would be considered quite an idyllic lifestyle. I was living down here in Devon. Um, my wife and I had a farm shop um, selling organic vegetables. I had a, um, a good landscape gardening and tree surgery business. And I started to get really depressed. And it, it seemed so um, in contrast with, my, with what I thought was gonna be my ideal lifestyle. I thought here is here's the perfect life, you know, it's what I've been building towards. And yet I felt really depressed and as I got more and more depressed, the one thing that I turned to, to support me was to go out into nature. So, and I think it was because nature felt like a constant in my life. It felt like this is, this is something I can trust. I can trust nature to tell me the truth. I can trust nature to be authentic with me nature's not gonna bullshit me. Nature's gonna be real with me no matter what. So it became this consistent voice in my life. And it really helped me to refine my strength and refine my, my voice of who I, who I am. And so I was pondering at that time, is it just me that is getting these benefits or is everybody like this? Does everybody have this relationship with nature? And then what followed from that was, hmm, well, maybe if they don't, I could help them to 
to find that connection to nature. And so it was not long after that, that I set about retraining as a counselor and psychotherapist so that I could support people in this work. So that was kind of, um, yeah, uh, early 1990s. So combining my knowledge of environmental education, ecology and conservation work with psychotherapy became the sort of basis for my, my early work with people um, out in nature. Yeah, and then this, and the, the crossover between promoting ecological awareness, which you know clearly is you know an urgent area yeah. <laughs> for the planet, you know, and people healing. It's just incredible. I mean, what 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 an amazing crossover. I mean, it must be so rewarding for you. I mean, the work that you do must be very very rewarding. I'd imagine. It is. It is. Um, what's really rewarding is occasionally somebody will drop me an email and say thank you you know I've now been able to do this or thank you for that exercise you sent out I I love it and it's really helped me um, particularly so people who may be suffering from a little bit of agoraphobia it's just a little exercise to just invite them to look out the window and then step out the door a little bit and just notice and be curious just little things like that little gains for people mm. um makes what i do feel really worthwhile and i'm i feel really grateful and and privileged to to be doing this work it, it really humbles me to to be able to do this to support people and also as you were saying to, to support the healing of of people which will then support working towards um saving the planet which is yeah what we need to do right now i mean absolutely yeah did you did you want to come in joe uh, uh did you have anything else you'd like to ask mark at all um oh goodness me such yeah i mean this i'm, I'm kind of moving around all, all, all over the place but there's something that i've read a lot in some in in the literature about cytokines i'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly but the the link between trees and our um immune system I, uh, quite, yeah, is yeah, it cytokines cyto something like that isn't it i'm pronouncing uh, it incorrectly i'm sure <laughs> yeah cytokines are the chemical messengers within our bloodstream i think you might be referring to phytoncides oh i think i am yeah yeah, yeah so phytoncides are these chemicals that trees emit so the word phytoncide is Latin and it means exterminated by the plant. So all plants create defense mechanisms to prevent them from being attacked by herbivores, by insects and by fungal attacks. So each tree creates these chemicals which are released into the atmosphere and fungi do the same thing actually. So these volatile organic compounds, vox or um, chemical cocktails, are released into the air to defend the tree against attack. And I think it's a really incredibly neat thing, it's a miracle actually, that the exact same chemicals that a tree creates to, pr to protect itself, when we breathe those chemicals in, 
it's been shown that they protect us against attack by things like viruses and cancer. Wow. But here's the really interesting thing. Globally, there are about a billion tonnes of these chemicals produced by trees each year and released into our atmosphere. So these chemicals are circulating in aerosol form throughout the uh, atmosphere of the planet. We have evolved in response to those chemicals. So our immune systems, as you know, our bodies are not really the, 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 the separate things our egos like to think they are, mm. but our immune systems are actually linked to the chemicals from these trees. So you could actually say our immune systems exist in response to the forest environment, which is where we evolved for the last six, seven million years. So the, the, the research shows that being in the forest makes us well, it improves blood pressure, it reduces the incidence of diabetes, it improves insomnia, it improves the cardiovascular system, it improves our immune system, it creates these things called killer cells, natural killer cells. The specific natural killer cells that are enhanced by a walk in the forest are the ones, they're the, like the kind of special forces of, of cells. These are the ones that can identify cancer cells that have cleverly cloaked themselves to remain undetected. So the walk in the forest increases the amount and availability of these special killer cells that can identify and remove cancer cells. One day of walking in the forest enhances these NK cells for up to an entire month. Wow. So if you think about that in terms of a GP's prescription, walk in the forest for a day and it will boost your immune system for a month. Well, I mean, I'm just, you know, I mean, goodness me, I could talk to you all day. I mean, it's just it, it's just staggering, isn't it? That, you know, the beneficial effects of, you know, of, of being in nature and being in a forest. If people wanted to get in touch with you, if people, I mean, you, you do sit in many different roles, but how do they get in touch? I mean, if they want to, if they want to come and experience it, if they want to train as a therapist, I mean, how do they get in touch with you, Stefan? They can contact us through the website, which is Nature and Therapy UK, or the the, the uh, address is natureandtherapy.co.uk. Um, have a look at the website and then just drop us an email or there's a phone number there. You're welcome to phone and speak to me. So, um, yeah, um, I'd be very happy to hear from people. Did you have anything else you'd like to promote at all whilst we've got you? Um, just to say, yeah, we've, we're running our Walk Leader training course programme from April onwards. So we have a full training programme which runs all the way through to November of Walk Leader training courses. Um, there, it starts with a three-day training in the woods. And for the, for the first time this year, we're doing a course in Scotland at Findhorn. Uh, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, 
if people are interested in the Woods for Wellness program, which is a social prescribing program for people with depression and anxiety, then um, they can also get in touch via the website. Just drop drop us an email. And that's yeah, that's it really. I did want to say something a little bit more about depression, actually, mm. if that's going to be of use to you from my experience of it. Yeah, sure, please but, do. Yeah. And this is maybe maybe you're not going to hear this or read this in a book because it's maybe slightly controversial, but because I'm very curious about things and I like to look into things all the time and, and figure out things, I was always trying to think about um, my depression and my relationship to it. And because I don't, I, I don't suffer from depression anymore. I mean, I still get depressed about things that are depressing as a normal human being would, but I don't get that overwhelming depression that completely debilitates me anymore. And I looked into it and what I came up with through, this is through years and years of therapy work and years of just contemplating it myself, I realized that I got depressed in my mid thirties because I wasn't living out the dreams and hopes of my father. My father was a refugee and he wanted me to become an estate agent or a policeman or something that he could be proud of as being a part of British culture. And I wasn't, I was a completely wild artistic rebel. And there was no way I was gonna become that. So I let him down, but his voice became internalized as a form of, of internal criticism. So by living my life the way I thought I should, um, as a gardener and as a conservationist and woodland manager, I wasn't living up to his ideals. So that was one thing that I discovered, and I hope this is of, of help to people. The other thing that I discovered was that my depression, the actual physical form of it, was to, to numb out, to dissociate, to, to just become absent. And I'd be sat in my house thinking, well, I need to cook the supper now, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't move because I was just completely numbed out. And what I realized is that depression as an adult for me is the version of dissociation that I experienced as a very small child. So as a small child, I experienced trauma and abuse. And as a child, I had a very limited vocabulary of emotions and certainly no voice to express anything. So the only thing I could do would be to leave my body, to dissociate. That became a pattern of survival. So that as an adult, whenever I fa faced a similar form of threat to my survival, perceived or real, I would go into a dissociated state, which then became known as depression. Mm. So that's just something I want to just pass on to people. 
and you probably won't see that or hear that spoken anywhere, but it, 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 it has helped me to put things into context and realize that actually my depression was my young body's way of trying to protect me. I mean, that, yeah. that really resonates and makes sense. Thank you for sharing. I mean, you've been so yeah. generous in sharing Thank today. You. Thank you. Yeah, so should we wrap up there um, and say thank you for joining us, Stefan? Um, it's been an absolute pleasure welcome. having you on and I'm sure a lot of people will find this episode beneficial. Um, it's been very good to be back as well. <laughs> I think we'll be back in the, I don't know when yet, <laughs> the next episode, but we will either be talking about naturopathy or um, medication. Um, as we're nearing the end of season two and then we'll be starting season three soon thank you again Stefan um, and thank you again Mark for helping co-host um, and thank you to all our listeners for tuning in thank you everyone bye great to meet you Stefan yeah you too, you too. <laughs> bye if you or anyone you know has been affected by the topics discussed in today's episode or previous episodes please contact your local or country's helpline you'll find them by going to google and typing in helpline um they have samaritans suicide helpline but remember that you're not alone as the title of the podcast says um there are many other people like you that have got mental health issues and feel suicidal and feel alone but there's always someone there for you to talk to be it a friend a family member a stranger a psychotherapist or doctor there's someone to talk to i've been in that position before and talking to someone really does help it's okay to not be okay and i will see you in the next episode